Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, And this week, an aging drug runner passes his most prized possession to his son, a work created by an immortal artist owned by an immortal author. But is it real? We'll review Hemingway's Picasso from something else. Plus, with little help from the police or the media, a group of volunteers forms their own group to find people of color who are lost, vanished, or forgotten. We'll discuss Black and Missing from HBO Max. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the best-selling book, Dead on Deadline, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello, Rebecca. And I'm also now um, on the hunt for murder spaces, and people in Exeter are volunteering their properties to kill people off. Wait, what do you mean murder spaces? Like places where people would be murdered. You mean for a book or a future book? Yeah, 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 yeah. But people like want everyone to be killed on their property. So I mean, our town is getting a little gruesome here. She's a murder hustler, basically. (laughs) And finally, our captain of all things cynical, author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. Now, Kevin, do you want to just reiterate the big announcement that we have going on? Yeah, guys, by the way, this is our last episode with double reviews. Is it? Yeah, next week we're going to be doing our special best of 2021. Yes. We'll talk about our top 10 podcast picks. And then following that, on January 3rd, we're switching to two episodes a week. Two, two. Count them, two episodes. We'll be out on Mondays and Thursdays with single review episodes so while uh, you'll have more crime writers on choose from the ones that you like choose them all we don't care we're just putting them in your feed you know what's funny about that no that episode that we're taping is like going to be a very long taping i think because we have no idea how we're going to do that yet right well well yeah it might it might be a little <laughs> rough for a couple of weeks yeah. till we figure out what we're doing bear here. with us i guess is what we're trying to say like we don't quite have this figured out yet but it's going to be awesome and by bear with us i'm talking to lara and toby <laughs> So am I. <laughs> that was clear. Cats <laughs> are behind this, Kevin. They're supporting this. Oh, my God. Look at that little baby. Look at his little white face. Which one is that, Lara? This is Pippin. Pippin and Rocky have a mouse cornered under my desk. And a so live all day mouse? Yes. I saw it run. And since then, both cats have been sitting at the desk just like quietly staring at it. 
waiting for it to break cover so they can kill it. So this might go down during this podcast taping. Just oh my gonna God. Say. You know what they're doing? <laughs> Looking for a place for a murder to happen for her next book. Yeah, they just found out. <laughs> my desk. It's your office is the answer. <laughs> my poison typewriter. Oh, my God. All right. Well, we've got a lot to do in this podcast tonight, this final podcast where we are going to do two reviews in one show. So I think we should just get it going. What do you think, Kevin? Let's do it. Let's do it. Leading off. I'd actually been to Cuba, and I'd sort of heard these bits about how there was like this allegedly lost Picasso that belonged to Hemingway floating around. Steve Coe would boast in bars about his time as a male model, as an NFL walk-on, and his days as a seabound drug smuggler. But his greatest souvenir was a ceramic painted by Pablo Picasso, abandoned in the Cuban home of Ernest Hemingway, meant as payment to drug lord Pablo Escobar. It was a dreamy prospect. A lost treasure that had passed through the hands of two masters. One of art, the other of literature. Almost too good of a story to be true. The question left unanswered for years was, is this work of art real? If Co were correct, it would be worth millions. If he were wrong about its provenance, it meant Coe's great treasure was worthless and his legacy was tarnished. But I want the listener to know right here and now that I ain't full of shit and I'll bet you $10,000 to your dollar and you'll lose a dollar every time. In Hemingway's Picasso from Something Else, host Leah Carroll takes us through Coe's swashbuckling life and its effects on his family. It also attempts to learn once and for all if the ceramic is a masterpiece or the work of someone else altogether. Spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about plot points from Hemingway's Picasso. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down review. All right, Laura Bricker. So you went into this thinking it was going to be an art heist story from your notes. Mm-hmm. Was it? Not really. So I went into this, obviously, the title, Hemingway's Picasso. The introduction to this is about this, like, crazy story that sounds like a cocaine island sort of story where this guy goes to Cuba and gets this thing that's going to be payment for Pablo Escobar, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden it pivots into sort of the family story behind the story. And up until the last episode, that really sort of is what dominates this podcast. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I guess I was more intrigued by the art angle and the heist angle and the authentication angle. And like there's just something sort of mysterious in a way that I find really compelling about like, you know, anything that's like an art. Uh, mystery, like the Gardner Museum heist, or when there's like a stolen painting or a stolen piece of jewelry. And that wasn't what we necessarily got here. And I feel like the title led me to believe that was going to be a bigger part of this. But that was actually just, as Kevin would say, the MacGuffin. Yeah. Uh, Toby, did you think for a second this was going to be a real Picasso? There was no way in hell this was going to be a real (laughs) Picasso. Agreed. 100% agreed. But a second question Did you think for a second that even if it were a real Picasso, that it in any way belonged to this guy? Because I just got myself thinking, like, if this is a real Picasso, it does not belong to this guy, nor does it belong to this guy's son or this guy's family. It would belong to Ernest Hemingway's estate or the state of Cuba or somebody else. Like, you can't just own a thing because you got it. You know what I mean? It was so clear to me that it wasn't a real Picasso that I didn't even go through that kind of mental <laughs> gymnastics to figure out anything else about it. 
and I can't believe we had to listen to 20 minutes of people sort of try and talk themselves into the fact that it might be a real Picasso only to talk to experts who are like, yeah, it sounded really interesting. And then I took a quick look at it and it was very clear from the very instant I saw it that it was not a real Picasso. And then we hear some more of like trying to talk themselves into it. I just want the listener to evaluate through their own head were all these people lying? Why did all this happen? Their words not law and they weren't there either. So I just, I can't, I can't get down with that opinion. Don't you think they probably did that like first? I mean, would you do like a super long time reporting something and then wait like till the end? And wouldn't that be the first thing that you did if you were reporting the story? Yeah. And I think if it was a real Picasso, I think the story would have played out a little bit differently. You think? (laughs) I I think you wouldn't leave like saying, oh, yeah. And by the way, it's a real Picasso to the very end. Yeah. You leave it to the end because it's like, oh, well, I guess that sucks that part of the story. But it's totally in keeping with everything else about Steve's alleged hijinks. Kevin, what do you think about the sort of central question here about whether or not this Picasso is real? Well, that is obviously the central question of the whole narrative. Well, it is. I mean, it's in the title, right? The question is not whether or not Stevie is going to be able to fence this or whatever. It really comes down to, is this uh, work of art actually a Picasso? And did Hemingway really own it? Because if it did, I mean, it really would be a super fascinating story. I do like the concept of the podcast because, you know, even some barroom stories are worth exploring. They can be fun. But uh, it just seemed like it was much harder to get it authenticated than it needed to be. They did explain, you know, like, well, the Picasso, he's got to go to his, you know, his asshole son, who's the only one apparently you can tell. And uh, he doesn't want to look at it. So it's hard to tell, like, you know. Did that happen in chronological order? You know, was that the last thing that they did? And once they found out that it was fake, they stopped reporting. I don't know. It's the way they wanted to present it. Uh, yeah, I think at the end, it, whether it is a Picasso or not, I think that's you save that for the ending because that's the mystery. Right. You know, was it very likely that it was going to be a Picasso that we're just finding out about now on this podcast? Probably not. Right. It was interesting to me that Leah Carroll drops details of her own personal story into this podcast, right? Her mother was murdered. Her father was an alcoholic. She describes her very complicated relationship with him many times in the story. We hear in the story very many times that Steve Coe was a very troubled person, was abusive to his wife and his kids, and yet we are presented this very idyllic version of him by his kids And in some ways, by the people around him who talk about him. Not both kids. I would say yes and no, because even his daughter at the end, who does not describe him idyllically, is still looking for his approval in many ways. Uh, You know, she's not going to get it from the will. Correct. But she's (laughs) but she's still, you know, she's still at the end was kind of disappointed. You know what I mean? There was there's this sort of sense of like still this longing for him. And I found myself frankly, kind of troubled by the framing of Steve Coe in this podcast, especially as it relates to the other thing that we're going to be reviewing later. Um, This is yet another story of a guy who did a lot of bad things and was still kind of walking around in the world and just able to tell the stories at bars. Toby, what did you think about the framing of Coe, not just in the story itself, but kind of by his kids in this story as sort of being this heroic, legendary figure? Yeah. So it struck me that like even his kids, 
I, I guess not not quite to the same extent, but most of the time when you're hearing people talk about how freaking awesome Steve is and stuff, it's relating to stories that he told about himself, right? It's not like I went and I did this with Steve and it was awesome. It was I want to hear that story again. So he's like kind of this guy who just does this stuff and then is able to tell embellished stories about it. Like the two women, like his wife, whose name was Patron, I think, yep, and daughter, both seemed fairly clear-eyed about him. And, you know, it's not surprising that the daughter can both be clear-eyed about him and also sort of desire his approval and, you know, especially after he dies. But, I mean, she moved to Australia to get to the other side of the world, away from him. She at one point says something about how maybe I should listen to more of his stories, but they always seem to end up in self-loathing. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so that to me seems like that's the key moment in the whole podcast yeah. to me in some ways. It's just like, this is the truth behind this. I thought the whole thing with Stevie was kind of a tragic, well, not even kind of, it's, it's tragic. Yep. It just seemed weird that that seemed to escape the podcast and that it's described like at the end where Stevie brings Steve out to California where he absolutely cannot really take care of him. I mean, he can just hang out with them. And it's like, this is my last chance to get approval from him. And I'm going to sleep in the same room as him. And we're going to do LSD and cruise around in his walker and stuff. And she talks about how it's like this idyllic setup. And I'm like, what are you out of your mind? Like, this is like the most messed up father son relationship and like hail Mary at the end for this kid to try and get something out of his dad that he's always wanted while his dad is dying. To me, it just seemed incredibly sad. And that just seemed completely lost on the podcast for yeah. some reason. Laura, what did you think about that? The Stevie, Steve dynamic and, and Stevie in particular, because he really, Stevie takes up a lot of time in this podcast. Like he's in a lot of it. I feel like, and I'm going to cheat here. I'm going to say, I, I feel like Stevie is more central to the story than the actual artwork. And in reading some of the interviews with Leah that she has done about this podcast, she actually said that once they got into the story, they decided that was actually the story. So that's why there was so much focus on him. Every single story is like, I was doing some psychedelics. I was doing some mushrooms. I was doing some acid. And then I'm like, how is he a reliable narrator at this point, number one? But also just how sad that this guy is jumping through hoops, as you were saying before, to get the approval of this guy who's honestly, like, as I was listening to it, I'm like, this guy is like American vigilante, except they've kind of checked out his facts because he sounds to be about as full of shit as the guy in that podcast. It's, it's really tragic hearing Stevie's story, but then also hearing that he just remains so nice and so likable despite everything that he's gone through. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, he could be a real asshole, but he still seems to have this sort of gentle, like nice way about him. And it's just, it's really sad when you hear, I mean, yeah, okay, there's this crazy story about all the things his dad did and he's hanging on to all that. But in the long run, like the dad's dead, he gave him his dying proclamation, sell the thing. And then the thing's not even real. So like, where are you going to sell it? Yeah. <laughs> And we, have, and we have this very clear-eyed narrative from the mom who's like, yeah. I was in this horrible, shitty relationship, violent, 
by the way, relationship. And I do, by the way, completely bristle, completely, whenever I hear about a violent uh, relationship and I hear like, well, the woman gave as good as she got, I completely bristle when I hear that. I mean, this is a professional football player, right, we're talking about. And we all know that those dynamics are never that, never, hardly ever that, uh, the way that they seem, especially through the eyes of children. And we hear Paloma on tape saying, we were watching Stevie relive the patterns of his father and it's heartbreaking, right? And I do feel like Leah is credulous. I'm honestly very sad for her as well as she is telling it. Because I do feel like she's projecting on him too some of her sadness in a way. And, and not in a way that is objective. In a way that is subjective. And it, it makes me very sad for her. Um, anyway, so Kevin, back to the artwork story. Mm-hmm. You say you could have done without some of the deeper family drama, right? Yeah, I could have. I mean, if you think about the way this is structured, we find out in the beginning it's about Steve and his, you know, wild adventures. And then we find out that he's dead. And now it's actually Stevie's the one who's taking over. We we find him later. I think we should have started with Stevie and he's got this thing. And what is it? Well, it's his inheritance from his old man, which happens to be blah, 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 blah. Right. Because is this Steve's story or Stevie's story? Well, I mean, look, if it's Steve's story, then it it ends because he's passed away. And then there's all this stuff that happens afterwards that, you know, doesn't kind of fit right. If it's Stevie's story, then why are we waiting till the second episode to meet him? But some of the other sort of dramas that I did, it really didn't grab me. That part of it, I think it's probably important. And you guys, you know, all like took away some more profound things from it than than I did. I guess I wanted more of a Murph the Surf kind of adventure. Well, he makes a cameo in this. He does make a cameo. (laughs) See, that's the kind of thing, though, that I'm sure that Steve emulated and was jealous of Murph the Surf's life and life story and what happened. And he thought I could have that. But, you know, what this reminds me of is that that this podcast doesn't have the same kind of magic that The Sneak 2 had. We all like The Sneak. Rebecca, you were sideways, though. But we all generally liked it, The Sneak 2. I'm just not a fan of, like, podcasts where it's just some old guy telling yarns about his life. I just think they're boring. Yeah, it is boring. There was no suspense. (laughs) There was no suspense. Once we knew that it was a fake, well, we assumed it was a fake. We would have heard about it if it wasn't. We're like, I was just like... We've heard this story how many other times already? Not to like belittle somebody's yeah. personal life story, but we've heard the story. <laughs> yeah, but you guys like one of the things that like make certain podcasts pop is the thing that we just don't call it. It's magic. Some of these things just kind of click, and then it becomes something special. And this sort of had some of the raw material, but it didn't do that. It didn't become magic. It didn't become something that was you know totally bingeable. It was it was very much like a Steve Barroom story. It had a lot of sort of flashy elements, but not a lot of substance to it. I'll tell you something else that structure wise, Toby, I don't know if you notice this. There's this thing that I call when I'm editing something like slinky storytelling. There's a structure where sometimes the way that it's told and sometimes this can be done well and sometimes it can be done poorly where you sort of lay out what's going to happen. So like you're stretching out the slinky and then you sort of like put the pull the slinky back and then you kind of go back and tell part of the story again, push the slinky back, go back and tell part of the story again, push the slinky back. Sometimes, though, it just feels like you're hearing the same thing over and over again. Like, how many times did we hear Steve die in this podcast? Like, we heard the story right. of his death, like, four times. We heard the story of his going to Cuba, like, three times. We heard, like, I mean, I heard we heard him going to Miami, like, three times. Like, I felt like we kept going back in time again. 
Did you feel like you were kind of hearing that the same ground retrod again and again and again here? Yeah, I, there was. It's funny that you mentioned that because I'd sort of forgotten about this. But there was one time when, you know, I was listening to this while I was commuting. And I think I, I was having to deal with something for a minute. And then when I kind of came back to, I was like, shit, did I like somehow like put this back to the previous episode? Like, I feel like I've heard this before. And I had to like look at like, oh, no, they're just they're just talking about it. Again. They're just killing Steve again. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, we, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but I, I, I think it sort of has at least two parts. And one of them is this sort of get a load of the sky thing with Steve and like going free diving and all this crazy stuff that he supposedly did. And that is sort of presented as being like kind of whimsical and kind of like, you know, fun. And then there's this whole other sort of tragic family thing. It just, it doesn't seem the tragic family stuff isn't really played for that aspect of it. I think, I mean, I think it's played as being a little bit more towards the whimsical Steve side. Like Kevin was talking about, like, does it have the magic or whatever? It it just doesn't, it didn't feel very coherent. Hmm. or cohesive to me and it it just kind of seemed like there were two there should have had two moods to it and it didn't quite and i don't know it's just sort of a mess i think laura i kept finding myself like when leah would talk about her own story i'm like why aren't we hearing a podcast about that my dad died when i was 18 14 years after my mother was killed his friends put up a plaque at his local bar it said kevin carroll a man's man I hated that thing. That bar is where my dad would drink himself to death. I don't know about you, but I'm like, I know she wrote a book about that. Why are we hearing her adaptation of this guy Flood's book or story? Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. story about this dude, this guy, this old boomer dude or whatever, who got away with a bunch of drug crimes and is able to tell the story in bars. Why are we hearing her story that she actually wrote a book about that she obviously cares a lot about and has a lot to say about that she connects deeply with? Like, why are we Because she's hearing... not a one-trick pony. She can talk about other things, no, too. I, but I know that. But why aren't we hearing something that's closer to her? It doesn't have to be that, but... I think that she thinks... And, and this is the thing. Like, at first blush, you think this is going to be a sexy podcast. Hemingway's Picasso. You're like, ooh, Hemingway and Picasso. Two people that are very interesting. So I think that's like a hook. And I think she, as a journalist, is like, oh, I've got Hemingway and Picasso. That's a hook. And... I think you're right. Her story might have actually been more interesting. I don't know her story, so I can't say, but we're hearing like tangentially sort of things about her story that are similar to this story. But I think it's like when you're looking at what do you think you can sell? What do you think people will be interested in? And there's like you see something that you think is going to make a big splash and you go with that when actually another story might be a story that might connect more with people because you're able to tell it in a way that's more relatable because you've experienced it. Um, but I think it's like, Hemingway, Picasso, ooh, ah, you know? Yeah, but listen, no, I, have, I know how these things go. Like, this story was sold to be developed into a show, and, like, that's what this company did, and she's the reporter. I get I get how it works, Kevin, and I'm not saying she's only a one-trick pony who can tell one story. I'm saying that she infused her personal story into the story for a reason, right? Those are the parts of the her writing that were the strongest to me. When she was talking about personal stuff, not just her own personal stuff, when she was talking about the family's personal mm-hmm. stuff, when she made the podcast personal for any of the characters, that for me was when the writing was the strongest. Well, I didn't really want to hear so much about Stevie's family, so I don't know how much uh, I would stick around to hear about Leah's family. What do you think about the writing, but, though? But, oh, but I think, yeah, I, I actually give Leah credit because I do think she was writing 
above the quality of the raw material here. She really was putting an effort in some strong writing. There were some really good passages in some places, you know, talking about uh, trying to avoid a ghost. And there were a couple of little things, you know, some some phrases there that, you know, I can see that she's really trying to, to, you know, make that part of the podcast sing. But, um, you know, overall, I'm just, I feel like it didn't really come together. Yeah. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the podcast, Hemingway's Picasso? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast? Uh, This is a tough one because I went in and I was like, this sounds like it's going to be really interesting. And I liked the first episode. And then I just felt like it dragged me. I'll call it the muddle in the middle because the story sort of shifted directions and went into something that I wasn't expecting to hear. But as a result, to me, it sort of lost the suspense of the story or whatever morsel would be there that was captivating that wanted me to keep listening to the story. So, you know, we've heard a lot of stories. We've heard like The Legend of Cocaine Island. We've heard American Vigilante. We've heard all sorts of stories like that. I guess my question is what would set this one apart except for the Picasso and Hemingway connection? And I don't want to give any spoilers, but I didn't leave feeling that way. So thumbs down. Um, there's plenty of other things to listen to. And I'm sad because I really wanted to like this, but I just really didn't find it that compelling. Toby Ball, what do you think about Hemingway's Picasso? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with Lara that this is a tough one. You know, it doesn't it doesn't suck. Um, I think it's got redeeming features. I think it has some interesting, you know, characters, but I just don't, I don't think they quite know what to do with it. Um, and I think... Actually, maybe even the title of Hemingway's Picasso kind of sort of puts them in a box about where they can go with it. So anyway, I you know, I'm not a big thumbs down. Um, I'm sort of a minor thumbs down, like almost to a thumb sideways. But uh, it's just it, it doesn't quite get there for me. So it's thumbs down. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I think I'm. Oh, God damn it. You know, I, I can't give it a thumbs up. So I guess it's got to go thumbs down, but it's 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 not a horrible podcast. We've certainly listened to a lot worse, but I agree with you guys that there was some stuff there, and I think it had a really great, promising premise, but some of this stuff just didn't really land for me. I think it really has to do with sort of the characters that we're left with and where their journey goes, because in the end, it seemed rather passive. Hmm. So, but I like you guys. I really wanted to like this podcast, and I don't hate the folks from something else. I just would like to hear something else. Well, you did because something else <laughs> made the fault line dine for a fight, which we all liked a lot. Oh, I'm sorry. I think I, I actually. I think I was a thumbs down on that. <laughs> I think you were too. Yeah, but I actually, I actually like a lot of the people who worked on this show, and I know I'm familiar with a lot of their other work, and I actually like Leah Carroll a lot as mm-hmm. a as a writer and narrator on this show, and I would love to hear her make other stuff, and I actually don't. I I want to say I don't blame her for this. I don't think it's her. Um, she's not the reason why I'm giving this a thumbs down. I'm just going to put it that way. The first clue I got that I wasn't going to like this, whenever you hear a story where they talk about the fact that someone tried to sell a story to a bunch of places and no one wanted it. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. That's a clue that maybe you shouldn't have made a podcast about that thing. And I have I can tell you personally that I have worked on and been pitched many projects with people who have said, oh, man. 
I've brought this around so many places and no one wanted it, but man, it's going to make a great podcast. And I'm like, is it? (laughs) (laughs) So like that magazine didn't want it and that magazine, but you have, you think it's going to make a great podcast. Like that, that is it. That's telling, right? And and, and as Toby said, this is yet another guy with a yarn to spin kind of story. I'm telling you, there are a lot of fucking guys with a yarn to spin out there. There just are. There's a lot of guys this age who who are like around in like the 60s, 70s, and 80s in the world of cocaine, in the world of LSD, in the world of surfing, in the world of heists. Tons of guys like this with stories to tell. And I'm telling you, I don't want to fucking hear them anymore because these guys have stories to tell and they think they're cool and they're out there and they're great and they're whatever. And as we'll hear in the next half of this podcast, the only reason they can tell them is because they're white. Like if these guys were smoking a joint and walking down the street and if they weren't white, they'd have a completely different fucking kind of story to tell. And I'm just kind of sick of this narrative, frankly. I I really, really am. And I kind of don't want to hear it anymore, especially when it's this uninteresting and there's this little to it. I don't think this podcast is terrible, just like everyone else. I just don't think it should have been made. And it just kind of had the slinky thing that wasn't done well. So I can't give it a thumbs up. Uh, So, yeah, thumbs down for me, not a huge thumbs down, because I think the people who made it did the best they could with the material they had. But, you know, just wasn't great material. So, yeah, thumbs down for me for Hemingway's Picasso. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Here we are, Kevin, in the business section. It's the business section, everybody. And you have a pitch for our listeners who are not patrons right now, Kevin, on our Patreon. What is that pitch that you want to make? Well, give yourself the gift of Patreon. Treat we yourself. Treat yourself. Look, we've got 250 exclusive podcast episodes, all sorts of crime writers on after shows. A great stocking stuffer that would be for someone in your life. Someone in your life? Give it to yourself the hell <laughs> Rebecca you don't get a Picasso and and, and hope to get, let somebody Listen, else take I'm it gonna right I'm gonna be honest with you Kevin uh, no one in my family ever buys me the stuff I want I always just buy for myself buy it for yourself that's right look but I, I want to say that I, I was going back and looking at stuff and we had quite a few folks that left Patreon in the spring of 2020 why 
because of the pandemic. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. Yeah. That was very insensitive. Yeah, me. why? What did you say, Rebecca? That was a long time ago. It I'm was, sorry. Well, no, but, you know, it feels like a long time ago. People's situations change, financial and whatnot, and we understand that, and that's fine. But a lot of folks kind of left, and they haven't come back yet. Maybe you haven't thought about it. But just a little reminder, hey, please come on back if you can. There's also, if you do an annual subscription, you can get 10% off the year. So kind of join us on Patreon. 10% off the year if you do an annual subscription? Yeah. That's a good deal. By the way, when I said why... I wasn't. I was also thinking maybe we did something bad. <laughs> I was like, "What did we do?" We talked about Tiger King. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, so what do we got going on our Patreon right now? So if someone wants to subscribe for the year, so they pay for the whole year and they get ten percent off, right? Yeah. So if you join it, at like whatever level they pick. So if you join it, like six bucks a month, you get that's the. Laura Bricker Bricker scale level. So you get, get Laura's podcast, Toby's podcast. You get all the other stuff plus Laura's podcast. You get four podcasts at six bucks a month, right? Yes, yeah, different type, but more episodes throughout right. the year. So yeah, I'm yeah. saying six bucks Not a four month episodes, but would four. be $72 minus 10%. So it'd be like 65 bucks and you get four podcasts for the whole year plus our 250 episode back catalog. It's a lot. Yeah. That's a good stocking stuffer for yourself. Look, it's we shouldn't be doing math. I'm just saying okay. I'm good at math. I want to show that off. Nobody cares about math. That's a good stocking stuffer. I can stuffer. see you counting it on your fingers, Rebecca. Listen, yeah. it's like my abacus right here. Yeah. So, Kevin, what's in tonight's after show? Well, we're going to talk a little more about Hemingway's Picasso, have some ideas about you know whether or not we think that Steve believed that the... Uh, Picasso was real or Trust not. Trust me, we've got more theories that are worth listening to. And... And, well, there was an intruder in Laura's uh, office. There was a mouse that Laura's cats were uh, watching. And uh, we wonder if by the end of the show, something is going to happen with that mouse. Yeah, it's like Chekhov's gun. Let's see if it goes off. It is off. like Chekhov's gun. <laughs> Let's just say the after show might turn into a horror film. Okay, that's what's happening on the after show. What else, Kevin? Hey, by the way, if you're a member of Patreon and you're listening to this on Monday when it comes out, we are having our annual Patreon holiday party. Woohoo! Who's so coming? Who's coming? Everybody's back? coming. Are Laura and Toby going to be there? I don't know. Do you guys want to come? Wait, when is it again? <laughs> it's, it's Monday, December 20th, 8 p.m. Toby, Eastern I'm Time. I'm going to wear my tiara. Mm. On Patreon, we're going to go on Crowdcast and we'll Do have... Do Laura and Toby even know this is happening? Can I yes. talk, you guys? <laughs> you guys, I am holding the the conch shell. It means the spirit stick. Yeah, the spirit stick. Uh, yeah, you guys can come. Of course, we want everybody on Patreon to come. Bring your own uh, festive beverage, like what, like whatever Rebecca's drinking with the loud ice right up against the microphone. The fu- is this amateur hour? <laughs> is this your first fucking that, podcast? That's fully sound. <laughs> oh my god! Listen. You know, you can, go ahead, do it. I'll just shut your microphone off. It's easy as hell. Uh, anyway, join us on Patreon for our holiday party. Hey, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all you folks. All right, so we have a lot of stuff going on. What else do we have going on on our Patreon right now besides the after show? Oh, by the way, Laura Bricker wants you to know that in the next Leave it to Bricker, Laura's getting invited to tour potential murder scenes for future books, including the basement of a local church. Oh, holy crap. Holy yeah. death. I'm going in. Um, actually, this podcast comes out on Monday, but I will have gone in on Thursday morning at 10 with somebody who has the key to a site that is 200 plus years old that could be a good murder site. Wow. 200 plus? Oh, my goodness. I can't wait. Thank you, Colonial America, yeah. for yeah. saving all of your murder sites. 
Yeah. <clears throat> what could possibly go wrong? All right, Kevin, before we wrap up our business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Allison Deem and Bob Colker. Oh, wait. What? Bob Colker, Bob Colker? Well, Robert Colker, yes. Yeah. Holy wow. shit. Bob has been sponsoring us on Patreon for about four or five years now. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> We've got some great uh, some great media folks. Bob Colker, by the way, is the author of Lost, Lost Girls. Girls and a bunch of other stuff. He was Hidden Valley uh, Road, which won a whole bunch of things. He's a famous magazine writer. The HBO uh, movie that we did, Bad Education, was based on an article that he wrote. He's amazing. Yeah, yeah great. We've, so, we've reviewed two of his books on... Uh, on the deep dive. I well, no it looks idea. like we've already done enough for Bob Colker. Maybe I should take that back. Why has he Why has he not been a saint before this is one of my questions. I didn't even know he was one of our patrons. Now I'm so embarrassed about all the swearing I do in our after show. <laughs> 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 I'm well, so fucking sorry, Bob. <laughs> well, Lee Bardugo is like really pissed that we didn't pick our second time, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Carol, Bob, and Lee, man. It's yeah. like all-stars uh, back there. We, oh. got, we got more, too, but... All right. Hey, only two can be patron saints of the week. Well, that's another perk of joining Patreon, right? Yeah. You could be... It's it's like being in um the romper room with a magic mirror. We could say your name on the podcast yeah. in the business section. Hold on. You guys were talking over me, so we didn't get to play the angels. Hold on. There. All right. And thus ends... The business section. The business section. Moving on. To the left, not this first house, but the second house right there is where Quiche was last seen. The one that's in the cut right there is the house where she was last seen at. Disturbed by the lack of attention paid to cases of missing persons of color, two women form a group to raise awareness of the issue. Public relations expert Natalie Wilson and former cop Derricka Wilson established the Black and Missing Foundation to turn the spotlight on the cases of women like Michelle Green, Pamela Butler, Tamika Houston, and Relisha Rudd. Then we find out that she hasn't been to school in weeks. We find out the length of time that she was last seen. How was a janitor able to walk out of a shelter with an eight-year-old girl? The organization faces resistance from a law enforcement community that doesn't act with appropriate urgency and indifference from the media who find the disappearance of white women more newsworthy than those of black women. And if we are privileging white women in this way, it is at the expense of every other woman in our society. The HBO Max four-part miniseries Black and Missing takes a deep dive into the particular challenges of finding victims of color who vanished, focusing on societal issues, policing, and publicity. It also tells riveting stories of missing person cases, some with satisfying resolutions and some unsolved. We are going to be talking about plot points for Black and Missing, so to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. Lara Bricker, let's talk about this team, Derricka and Natalie. What do you think? You want to join this team, yes or no? Uh, Absolutely. Um, yes, they are like a powerhouse combo. I mean, we have one who's a former police officer, one who works in public relations, but they are like boots on the ground. They are out there doing everything. When you see them in action, handing out flyers, canvassing neighborhoods, getting media coverage, talking to family members on the phone maintaining their humanity through all of that and also just advocating for something that 
seriously, as I watch it, I'm like impressed by them, but I'm also like pissed that they have to do this and that cases that like when you hear about them should have more police coverage, more media coverage are not getting that. You're like, what the fuck? I mean, good for them for going out and putting themselves out there and taking this on. But also it just really highlights the rage. For me, I was just like, when you hear about these cases that weren't getting the attention that was deserved and that was needed to hopefully bring a resolution and, and, and bring some sort of ending that is closure and yeah, I would definitely go out with them. I, I love both of them. And I also wouldn't fuck with them because <laughs> they're getting shit done. I'm always amazed that it's like ordinary people that just say, this needs to be addressed and so we'll do it. You know, it just, it, I think that that's, that's great. Look, if, if you are a rich, powerful person, it's kind of expected, you know, like if you're Bill Gates, yeah, great. Thanks for like helping. Kim Kardashian. To, like, thanks for helping to, tr- you know, to yeah. try to cure, you know, malaria in third world nations. That's fantastic. You kind of have the resources for that. The, you know, these sisters-in-laws, they, uh, you know, they're not rich. I don't even know if, if they're making any money on this to buy groceries to, you know, to do this kind of work. But they just decided we're going to do it. And that's I always find that amazing. So, Toby, we, we do hear earlier that it is this combination of like law enforcement and public relations that are the two things that are needed. Right. So is this the magic combination that these two women have these two backgrounds or is it just the drive and their own personal stories? Because they do really seem to have exactly what it takes and they really seem to be getting a lot of shit done. And also, like their personal stories seem to be driving them. I mean, I'm thinking about in particular about Natalie's story, her son being arrested and incarcerated, something that we see happen kind of in real time as that story unfolds, as they're making this documentary and what hap- ends up happening to him and the, and the cop who arrested him. Um, we'll talk about that later. That's the magic combination is, is the media, right? I mean, and obviously the law enforcement side, but the media and the attention seems to be like the magic here, right? Yeah, I mean, it seems like, or at least their theory is, and it it certainly seems right, is that to get things accomplished, you have to get media coverage because that puts pressure on the police to, you know, investigate the case. Well, they talked to uh, John Walsh. Is that his name? Yes. uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they talked to him about America's Most Wanted and the success he had. And there's that story uh, where they go on The View and within, you know, hours have found one person who's missing and they try to get it and without success. It will really be a wonderful thing to reunite this family. We will be right back. Just 14 minutes after the show aired, we received a tip that led us right to their daughter. You know, it, it's clever that that's the strategy. It's a little crazy that decisions made in editorial rooms are driving what police are spending their time investigating like that doesn't make much rational sense to me but you know again i think this is where you know one of the critiques of our justice system and law enforcement is if they're not going to use resources equitably then maybe that's what you have to do to put pressure on them basically if you're not going to investigate black disappearances with the same vigor or the same percentage of time per case or whatever, as you do white cases, there's something fundamentally wrong there. And it's hard to know how else do you put pressure on them if you're not getting it into the press. And I don't know 
I don't know what the answer is if it's not that. One of the things I loved was, first of all, the fact that John Walsh is in this and the way that they used him in this, I thought was so clever because um, it's it's very easy to sort of like look at John Walsh in America's Most Wanted as this like iconic thing. But the fact that they went back and like looked at that case, which was an iconic case that really sort of changed the way that media and criminal justice like collide. But the fact that Natalie said when it was like, we want to make our website, what do we want to look like? We want to look like America's Most Wanted's website. Mm-hmm. We wanted to look like the white media website looks for cases like this. And like she's extremely deliberate about it. And it's like, what do you want the media coverage to be? We want black media to cover these cases the way white media is covering white, white cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we just we just want it to be if, if white media is not going to do it, we're going to have black media. We're going to get them to blanket it the way. And it's just like it's so the deliberateness of it and like the pressure that it puts, I just think is so fascinating. But Kevin, where it starts is. They, they talk about when a black person is missing, the assumption is, even if it's a child, that it's somehow the, that the black person's fault. The, the runaway thing yeah. was st- astonishing to me, that the assumption always goes to the runaway thing. I think that doesn't happen with white kids. We know that if you're classified as a runaway, you do not receive the Amber Alert. And we have seen that black children are disproportionately classified as runaways. It's difficult because... You know, as we know, 99%, and that's the actual statistic, 99% of those that run away, leave, whatever term you want to use, they come back. It makes it hard to distinguish when someone has been lured away, right? Or when someone has gotten in trouble, put themselves at risk, was pulled into something that through no fault of their own. The term runaway ends up becoming the kind of thing where you assume that everyone has left on their own and very likely will come back. So it does make it hard to distinguish when you have legitimate cases of concern. We looked at the one case, and it was uh, Amaria Hall. She was a teenage girl who apparently, you know, started chatting online and got, you know, lured into um, potential sex trafficking ring. Potential sex trafficking ring. You know, kind of just left home. It took one cop who happened to be a black cop saying, "Look, oh yeah, all this stuff. This doesn't sound right." Hadn't done this behavior before, you know, uh, went away with somebody that wasn't a friend. You know, th- th- this is... Well, her mom knew. That wasn't right. 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 But you're right. Your mom <laughs> your mom knows. Um, yeah, it's difficult to, you know, break that mindset. Well, the, the cops have that mindset with black kids that they don't have with white kids. Like, it was a runaway. Mm-hmm. And we heard that over and over again, that that assumption was made. That person just left, an assumption they don't make with white people. Yeah, I do appreciate that they made that point, that the, the people... that. People are led to believe that when a black person is missing or in danger, it's because they put themselves at risk or it's because it's their own fault. Yeah. So, Laura, we need to talk about Derek and the brother of Pam Butler and the Pam Butler story in general, mm-hmm. which I believe, and Kevin and I kept talking about this, a whole documentary could have been made about that story. A great podcast. Yeah. And what happened to her and the guy who was responsible for it and everything around him like an unbelievable lot of unfolding of events. But talk about Derek a little bit, because he is a thread throughout this entire story. What I loved about Derek was that oftentimes you see family members of crime victims that react in ways that are like inflammatory and and they're so upset that they're just not communicating effectively. And he is just thoughtful and 
empathetic and he's just impactful in the way he talks. And he's somebody that you can really connect with as you're watching him because he's just, he's got a very sort of gentle nature, but he's also, I think they called him like the quiet storm or something like that at one point when they were introducing him. It's not like suspenseful when you're watching him. It's it's empathetic when you're watching him, but it's effective when you're watching him because he is such a sincere person and you see just the lengths that he goes to to find closure in his sister's case. And even when things don't go his way, he still communicates in a way that's like he's not letting people off the hook, but he's not acting in such a way that he's isolating people who might be gravitating towards his story. God, like watching him, I'm like, oh my gosh, the whole the whole thing. I'm like, he should have been the central focus because other cases that were featured in this, like I'm like, why do I know this Relisha Rudd case? I'm like, oh yeah, because we listened to a whole podcast about it. Yep. But like his, his story, I have not heard. And I think this documentary might've been more, I mean, it, it, I thought it was impactful, but overall, if his story had been the thread that tied it all together, which it kind of was, but- more completely than they used it. Um, I just thought he was just such a relatable character and such a good person to put out there, but also somebody I just wanted to go hug. I just loved him. When these things happen, unless you live through it, you don't know the stress that you go through. I can be very happy and see something or think about something that uh, me and Pam could have done or might have did. And it just kills that day, you know. So, Toby, you sent a note that I thought was really interesting because we very often criticize things when they are too sensational, right? This is a very low-key documentary. Like, it is not sensational. It is uh, measured. It is sort of slowly paced. It sort of lets itself unfold. And even this story with this Derek and his sister Pam which, again, this is the spoilery zone, so I just want to tell listeners that who have not seen this yet. It is this unbelievably dramatic tale where his sister has been missing. We find out that her partner has likely murdered her, but that he also likely previously murdered his his other wife. And then there's a whole situation where his son ends up, you know, becoming an integral part of it. You know, it's like basically a serial murder case that unfolds over all four episodes of this. But it's like a slow burn. It's not sensationalized. And it really unfolded in such a way where Kevin and I the whole time were like, holy fucking shit, this is like a serial killer case unfolding so slowly. But you send me the note that this thing is so low key that it's unlikely to catch fire in the way that maybe it deserves to. What did, like, I'm just curious what you think there. Is it is it too low key? Because you usually like it when things are measured and low-key and straight? I mean, it's not really... It didn't eat into my... Enjoyment's not really the word, but but my sort of being engrossed by what I was watching. But it's very low-key. It's very measured, as the subject matter deserves. But there's not, like, a whole lot of suspense, really. I mean, did you find, like, when you were done with one episode, you're like, I gotta watch the next episode. I can't take oh, yeah. a break. You know? I, I did. There I There was a it. huge oh, cliffhanger after, I think, was it episode one or yeah. episode two? Yeah. Yeah, I, I did. Okay, well, well, maybe I'm off then. But, but my feeling was, is that for a lot of the documentaries we watch, like, there's entertainment value, they're telling stories that are interesting and for some reason or other. This is a little bit different it seemed to me in that what you really want to do is get as many eyes on it as you possibly can. Like that seems to me 
like more of an imperative for this than like a lot of stuff that we've watched and really, really liked. But then the way it's produced is almost counter to that in that it's not, you know, I, I just wonder if it's the kind of thing that has the potential to blow up given how low key it is. Yeah, you actually hit on something that I asked Kevin while we were watching it. So I posed this question to him because there was there obviously there's an endless number of stories that could be told here, right? And these two women are fascinating and Derek is fascinating. And I found myself wondering, couldn't this be like a really freaking great like weekly series or like a really great like eight episode annual like this is this season of Black and Missing? Like I agree with you, like it could be an event series like i think the material is there is that what you're trying to say yeah i mean i think the material's there and i also it again it just seems to be like more than most other stuff we see like the imperative is to get as many people as possible to watch it like that that's how things would change like this this is made with the idea of i believe trying to change opinions and put some pressure on media to be more responsive to these kinds of cases in the black community. And then so it's like, how do you how do you do it in such a way that's going to get like a huge viewership? And so this is one of the things like, so they had that thing where it looked like, I don't know what it was, Dateline or whatever, was like had like a little talk with their, you know, the programming people at NBC or wherever it was about like, why don't we do only white people? Why isn't there more diversity or whatever? They questioned the president of NBC News at the time. Why is there such a huge disparity in stories about white victims as opposed to all other kinds? Well, let me say, I don't like hearing that that's true. Race is not a factor in who we cover or how we cover it. And I was kind of like, well, you know what? Fuck you. Like, why don't you just do a year where you just do stories about minority people who've disappeared or whatever, just instead of focusing on white people all the time. Like you can do that. Like that's in your power to do it, but you just choose not to, but you want to do this like kind of soul searching thing to make yourselves feel better. So I don't know, maybe it isn't thought out as much as it could be, but I do think as much as I like it and I'm going to give it a, you know, a lot of praise and a big thumbs up, but is it the kind of thing that is going to compel a lot of people to watch it? I mean, I assume our audience is like the perfect audience for it, but is it going to get people who have sort of passing interest in true crime or, yeah. or you know, are just going to watch what happens to be popular at the time? Like, I, I don't know if that's going to happen with this. Yeah. It ends up coming to the question of, is this a true crime series or is this a look at a societal issue series? Because the idea that what they should have done was a weekly show with featuring another crime with with a you know a, a missing black person, you know it's like then that just becomes another shitty show on investigation discovery. It just instead of being wives with knives, it becomes a watered down version. Just that it features people of color. It ends yeah, up. Yeah, but those people get found because they're on TV. Well, then, it's, you know what I'm saying. So, see, but American- I don't. I, I, takeaway isn't that this HBO thing is going to find somebody. It's for us to think about why people aren't being found, and the the goal is not necessarily everybody's got to get on 2020. It's that these local news stations have to cover this the same way, because that's where it becomes effective, 
right? The fact that, you know, all these people came out looking for Alicia Rudd was because it was saturated in the Washington, D.C. media market, and it didn't get picked up nationally, right? It's hard to figure out why some things go national, why those... It's not hard to figure out, because it's people peddling the stories that are paid to do that. That's actually a thing. The story peddlers who do that. It's actually story brokers who actually sell those stories. Yeah, but it's also a demand thing. It's it's really sometimes just hard to tell what's in the news cycle and what kind of weird thing it is. But the proof is in the pudding that whether it's conscious or not, stories about black victims don't get the same kind of hype and coverage on a national level as stories about Gabby white Petito, women. right? Yeah, that's the that's the latest one. Yeah. Natalie Holloway, you know, John Benet. Yeah. Go ahead, Laura. Well, I was going to say that's like super timely because everybody was talking about the case with Gabby and I saw all over my social media feeds on Facebook and Twitter everywhere people talking about like why aren't women of color and people of color getting the same attention that she's getting and I think at one point, like even her father came out and I don't know if it was just because everything that was going on and, and was saying like, you know, everybody should be getting the same awareness and everybody should be getting the same attention and do it for, for Gabby or whatever. But, you know, I, so I think it's time, obviously this was in the works for a long time, but it's timely that it came out this fall after that case did get so much attention for specifically that, that reason, which, what did they call it? Like missing white women syndrome or yeah. something? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's timely. And it also, I have to say, definitely for me, like as I started watching this, Connie Walker was like heavy on my mind as I was watching this because she has been just so good at shedding light and awareness on this exact same issue with indigenous women. And there's another show out this fall. I think it's it's something about missing in Montana, which is about missing indigenous women in Montana. I don't think it's something she did, but I am sort of glad to see that it's not necessarily like super mainstream media outlets. I mean, HBO is, but like that there are shows that are starting to in podcasts and documentaries trying to sort of make this a little bit more equitable in, in terms of how we are raising awareness about people that are missing. It seems like everybody's saying this would be better if it were something else. I think I disagree. I think this is just what it needs to be. Maybe there should be other things. There ought to be other things. But again, if, if, if we think that investigation discovery is going to suddenly take up the mantle and do some quality, real-time true crime stories that are going to benefit missing people as opposed to retelling you know, the latest murder story 15 different times, we're going to be disappointed. Listen, so I would rather see, and I'm going to be really honest with you, uh, more like marginal shitty true crime stuff about you know, missing and murdered people of color than more marginally shitty true crime stuff about pretty white women. It's it's not true crime stuff. It's news. No, I know. News needs to cover. But true it, crime exactly. is secondary market. So let me, let me put it this yeah. way. So we just listened to Believe Her, right? Mm-hmm. One of the best podcasts of the year. I think we all agree. Mm-hmm. On Investigation Discovery, there's a whole silo of shows about criminalized... Uh, abused women that are branded as criminal women, snapped, wives with knives, etc. These are all women who are victims of domestic abuse, who the reason they snapped was they were victims of domestic abuse. And these shows just frame them as women who, quote, snapped, right? Mm -hmm. That is shitty-ass true crime, right? Not good. Not good, not good, not good. Those should be those should be gone, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about those shows. I'm talking about shows like 48 Hours. I'm talking about shows like, you know... Um, Dateline. Dateline, and, right, yeah. right. That focus on the Lacey Petersons, that mm-hmm. focus on those cases that are... You know, they're doing 
journalism, middling, you know, journalism focusing on these shows. I'd rather see more of those shows be about people of color. I would. This is why, by the way, I give Payne Lindsay a lot of fucking credit for making Up and Vanish season three about a missing Mm -hmm. indigenous woman in Montana. Like, say what you want about whether or not you love or hate that podcast. He chose that topic for a reason. And I really fucking appreciate the fact that he did that. Right. That was intentional. And that was the right, that's like the right thing to do. And I really wish more immediate outlets of that. I think that's more what I meant. Not that this documentary should be that, but that there should be more shows, like a weekly show, like America's Most Wanted or whatever, that maybe has the focus on like, I don't give a shit if it's called Black America's Most Wanted, if that's like a terrible title, but like, why the fuck not? You know what I mean? Like, why not? <laughs> I guess why not, Kevin? Why not? Kevin's like moving on. No, he was, like, he no, was looking was... at the script. <laughs> the ideal thing is that you, is you get police departments to take a look at, at how they're allocating resources. Like that, exactly. That, that's the ultimate goal, right? And then the media is basically an instrument in order to achieve that goal. Whether it's the common wisdom or it's just what they've kind of come up with is you can't make enough phone calls to the detective's room to get them to actually do something like that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Like what you have to do is you have to have them sort of shamed publicly in the media in order to compel them to do stuff. So I guess if that's the way you have to go about it, you have to go about it. But when people talk about, you know, police reform, it, there's a lot of aspects to that. But I think one of the aspects is this, is that it's, you know, it's a justice system that, treats people equally and if somebody's missing it doesn't matter what race they are they're going to get an equal an equal look and that's that's just absolutely not what the case is right now yeah and we can't overlook the fact that natalie's own son was a victim of a justice system that does not treat people equally right yeah uh yeah it was pretty clear from that camera in the cruiser he did not cross the yellow line yeah fruit of the poisonous tree and ah. even if he had crossed the yellow line did he deserve to be in prison for two no. years for having a little bit of pot in his car no fucking well there, no were, there were other no. hard drugs there that were probably planted they were definitely yeah. fucking planted by that cop yeah because that's what that cop did how is that cop not getting arrested How's that cop not getting arrested? I don't yeah. know, Kevin. How do you think that cop's not getting arrested? Uh, <laughs> Welcome to America. Cop. Yeah, I know. Welcome to America. Well, at least they let everybody. Well, I don't know everybody. They certainly let Elon on. They should be letting everybody else After two else years of being away from his family. Yeah. Fucking criminal. The fact that Natalie is able to like still do this work and not just like burn the world down with a blowtorch, which is what I would probably do. It's amazing to me. Like the grace and determination that everyone in this story has. It's incredible to me. And I have just so much admiration for every single person in this entire thing. Hey, one last thing I want to mention. And she talked about that, Rebecca. Yeah. I think it's like you forget that human toll when you see people that are so strong out there advocating. You forget that, you know, there are times that you know behind the scenes they're like stealing themselves to get back out there because this is heavy and it does take an impact on you so i thought i i was glad that they showed that side of her you know i just want to say that i'm glad that they ended the series with a couple of what we would call brights or kickers just sort of more uplifting or at least satisfying storylines Right, because some of it gets pretty dark. It's good to kind of end with a couple of wins as almost like a, a palate cleanser. You have the story Monique Smith finding her sister. There's a conviction oh in God, Pam's case. <laughs> the only downside may be that like, it leaves the viewer thinking, oh, the situation isn't as bad as we thought it was. 
those last three episodes because we're not walking away really depressed. And that's, I think, sort of the caution you have to, no, 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 all the shit that you were like worried about in, for three and a half episodes, yeah, that's still a legitimate concern. We're just, you know, not going to send you off with uh, another completely horrible gut story. Punch, yeah. yeah, another gut punch. Yeah, that those sisters finding each other after being kidnapped. Oh my god, I can't even. Way to go, twenty three and me. I have problems with you, but sometimes you really come through, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and I love how she said, "We got the same dress." They were in the same skirt. They were the same skirt. Legit. They look like twins. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out Black and Missing on HBO and HBO Max? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Black and Missing? I'm going thumbs up. I think that there were things I would have done differently in this. Um, first of all, like releasing this, you know, right in the beginning of December when everybody is watching like these like really light Christmas movies. It's kind of a tough time of the year to be going into this this type of story. And I'm not saying that this story shouldn't be told and, and, and awareness shouldn't be raised. But I was like, oof. It was, it was heavy. It was a lot. There was a lot of rage coming out of me as I was watching this. And I actually... I did get the teenager in my house to watch this because he's all worked up about, he's like, oh, I'll watch that mom because that's bullshit and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh yeah, you'll watch this with me. This is this is a big moment in my life. But um, I think that we had good, <laughs> it was, it was a big moment, you guys. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm raising a criminal justice warrior, you guys. This is so exciting. If only it would stop touching your recording equipment. <laughs> if he would only stop touching my microphone, life would be ideal. Um, but I liked the characters in this, the people, the story was told through. I don't think it was told in a way that was like particularly suspenseful. It was like very matter of fact. It was very straightforward. And so if you're looking for something that's like splashy and exciting, this isn't it. But I think that it really sheds a light on this organization, this foundation, Black and Missing, that's founded by Derica and Natalie. And if nothing else, I think it's it's good to familiarize yourself and learn about this because you know, there are people out there that are doing the work and these women are, are pretty badass and good for them. Toby Ball. Yeah, I I really liked this and admired it. And um, I hope as many people as possible can watch it because I think it's very important. It's a lot to process, but it does a very good job of showing, you know, the way our justice system addresses issues in the black community versus issues in the in the white community. And and this is I mean, this isn't obviously comprehensive as far as that goes, but it it is like one large tragic aspect of that that situation. At times I was thinking about uh, when we watched Philly DA or Philadelphia mm. DA or whatever. Mm -hmm. they, they seem like you could watch them together to kind of see from sort of different approaches some of the issues with our justice system. So anyway, it's, it's a really big thumbs up. I, I really encourage people to watch it. Again, as Laura said, and as we talked about, if, if you're skipping straight to this and you didn't listen to our discussion, you know, it's not flashy. It's very reserved, but it's super important, and I hope people watch it. So I'm a thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. I'm also a thumbs up. I certainly went into this believing that it was going to be a story, you know, looking at a topic. I was actually kind of surprised that it also had a true crime story woven in. Usually we see the kind of the opposite of that. We think it's like a true crime story and then we are sort of like secretly given the primer on whatever the issue is. So I was I was surprised and happy pleased that we we got both. Um it's nonetheless a very interesting and important topic to look at and 
man, I just believe like that it's great that we have people that are willing to take up the mantle and try to set things right the best they can. We know they're not going to solve the problem, but they have shown us a way to make it better. And I'm hoping that the work that they do can be emulated in other metropolitan areas where this is a real issue. So, Kevin, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Were you surprised by how many stories they were able to pack into these four episodes? Yeah. Because I, yeah, I they was mixed too. it through. Yeah. I will say I'm giving this a very big thumbs up because that was a huge surprise for me. They really put the stories of so many people into these four episodes and told them so richly and so deeply and, and, and introduced us to so many people and, and so many different kinds a of a lot of different kinds yeah. of stories, um, you know, kidnappings, uh, domestic violence stories, sex trafficking stories. Um, I mean, some resolve, some not. Uh, yeah, some happy some, endings, exactly. some sad endings. Yeah, really, yeah. it's really incredible the breadth and width, and I and that really illustrates something that there isn't just one kind of missing person story. Um, that it can be something resolvable, and it can be something tragic that's not resolvable. And a missing person can be a murder, and a missing person can be a missing person. Like. It's it's really amazing to me how much they were able to be able to accomplish. The one thing I will say that I agree with Toby on is that I wish this piece of media could be like the serial of this issue where serial kind of put the potential wrongful conviction and turned the narrative of the true crime world like to look toward like changing the whole thing of like, you know, the bad guy did it. Let's lock him up kind of thing to like maybe that guy shouldn't have been locked up. I would love for a piece of media like this, this this kind of thing to go viral so that everyone in the world could be paying attention to this particular issue. I'm not sure this is going to rise to the top of that because it is so low key. It doesn't mean it's not excellent. So I have to give a huge, huge thumbs up for Black and Missing. I really do think it's an outstanding documentary. And like Toby, I will say, if you have not watched it and listening to this podcast, please watch this documentary. It is excellent. It is compelling. It's entertaining. And there is a fucking awesome true crime story at the heart of it over the course of the four episodes that is going to blow your mind. So big thumbs up for me for Black and Missing. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. 
Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the week. The week. A takeout restaurant in Manchester, England, had to give a refund to a customer who complained about their food. The problem, the ice cream was cold. The order was placed using the Just Eat delivery app, which also granted the refund. Restaurant manager Hassan Habib is steamed. He said the customer ordered four milkshakes, a cheesecake, and the ice cream, and got all their money back by selecting the, quote, food was cold option on the app. Habib said the order was obviously fraudulent, the online equivalent of the chew and screw. Habib is organizing other restaurants to protest the app's refund policies by switching it off for an hour. They want more protections against fraudulent claims. Just Eat says it changed its policies to make customer refunds easier, but it will allow restaurants to dispute any complaints beyond their control. It is possible, however, that the complaint was made in good faith. The customer may have believed the meal was too cold if he thought he ordered clam chowder. Ew. Panel, why do you want a refund from your favorite restaurant, Laura Bricker? Why do you want a refund from your favorite restaurant? Oh, gosh. I never want a refund from my favorite restaurant. I'll tell you, I am a, I'm like that person, like in when Harry met Sally, when she's like, I want this, but I want this on the side, but I want this on the top. And and I'll say that I've like got all the local chefs trained on that. So my biggest complaint usually is what I call it, like the fake tomatoes that you get in the off season when you get like any kind of burger or sandwich and they give you that like creepy, like off pink tomato. And I'm like, I don't want the suspect tomato. Thank you. Um, and, and most of the time they honor that. But if they don't, that's what I would send back, the sus tomato. Nice. Tell you about what about you? Why do you want a refund from your favorite restaurant? It said hot dog. That That's not a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Flynn. Uh, spaghetti too long. Uh, mine is when I go to the Taco Bell uh-huh. that's attached to the um, Long John Long Silver. John Silver oh, and I ask for... <laughs> <laughs> Taco Bell long time silver. For fire sauce and accidentally give me tartar sauce. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should probably end it on that note. But before we do, would you like some more tartar sauce for your burrito? Lar Fricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Um, I think we have a hamster of the week. What? Um, it's hard to <laughs> oh, tell. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a guinea pig. I'm sorry. Um, we actually have a guinea pig of the week. Wow. Wow. Okay. That's a first. It, it is a first, but it's super festive. This guinea pig comes to us from Liz. Oh, that's a festive Crasio- fuck. Liz Crassiolo. I'm sorry, Liz, if I just totally butchered your last name. The guinea pig's name is Bean. He is truly an ornery old man in a guinea pig's body. But what I love, it looks like he's got like the Christmas tree equivalent of like that old fashioned like headache bag on his head like you know in the old days when people be like i've got a headache yeah like a hot water bottle but it looks like a christmas tree and he's got a little strawberry in front i i think you know he's ornery but he's 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 tolerating the season and we've never had a guinea pig dressed like a christmas tree so he wins this week the guinea pig is cute as hell he's cute as hell if you want to see the photo sign up for the crime writers on newsletter it's free how do they do that kevin 
Go to crimewriterson.com and fill in your email address. Look, That's it. We're not going to sell you anything you sign up for the newsletter at all. Well, no, we but sure you to sell could you some buy leggings. some leggings or something. Yeah, but yeah, but we're, we're not, not going to make you. We're not going to sell your names to aluminum siding no, salesmen. No, we literally just want to sign you up for a newsletter so you can get our fun newsletter. It's literally free and fun. All right, Lara Bricker, if folks want to submit their animals, it could be literally any kind of animal, obviously, to be Cat of the Week. I especially like dogs. Of course, they can email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com or put them in our Facebook group. But if they want to tweet them to you, how can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at Laura Bricker. And it is the winter season. I'd love to see some like Norwegian forest cats. And I would actually love to own one if anyone wants to give me one. So thanks. Merry Christmas. Uh, Happy holidays. Toby Ball, if you would like folks to send you things that you want and you would like to solicit them on Twitter, how can they find (laughs) you there? That's quite a segue. Toby Ball um, wants a Norwegian forest cat, too. I We've got an alleged Norwegian forest cat, Olaf, supposedly. How big is he, though? Is he that big? He's long. Yeah. He's long and skinny. I don't know. I don't. How he, long? You just put your hands out like four feet. Is he that big? He's, They're well, big, those cats. They're big. I, I've never had a cat like this. Like, usually when you lift up a cat, like, their spine sort of holds a little bit of a shape. Like, they droop a little bit. This cat is like, you hold him and he just, like, slips. It's like wet spaghetti. <laughs> like, well, he's, like, spineless. This. He's Bring very him to funny. the show next week. I want to see him. Well, you do know how a podcast works, right? Yeah, uh, I do. It's not TV. Send us a picture for the newsletter. All, All right, right, Toby Ball, what is your fucking Twitter handle? It's uh, it's at Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, what is your fucking Twitter handle? Uh, it's www.twitter.com <laughs> slash Kevin P. Flynn. We're back on that again, eh? Yeah, I guess so. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. You can find that by looking for us on Facebook finding our regular Facebook page, and then hitting Join the Group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get all four of our extra podcasts that we make there. It is worth it. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredible Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is the incredibly handsome Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we hang our commemorative china plates painted by Toulouse-Lautrec that used to belong to Agatha Christie. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. That was very funny. It was a good joke. Thanks. Toby, you have never seen fucking Titanic. I have never seen Titanic. <gasps> what? Wow. How is that even? Like, How'd you even I, avoid that? I don't even know how that's actually possible. To not, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a time when I would have been like, oh, what, did, what should I do tonight? Well, maybe I'll watch Titanic. It was certainly in the theater for like a year and a half. Yes. and That makes me want to go see it. I mean, I don't know how you avoided it. Did, did you not know, like, any other people when it came out? Because, like... No, I know I know people who've seen it. You know, you know what else? To make it even worse, I didn't even know that My Heart Will Go On, or whatever that song is, by... Uh, Celine, Celine Dion. Celine Dion. Yeah. I, didn't, I, I don't think I'd ever, like, knew what that song was until I listened to the... Uh, 60 songs? 60... 60 songs that explain the 90s about it. Isn't that podcast so fucking great?
using Prime Media. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.